welcome to the Pinups and Poltergeist podcast. I'm your host, Ruby Stardust, and this is episode two, part two. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion about the infamous La Lorie Mansion, and then I'll be reviewing American Horror Story Coven. And the reason I chose to do those two for the same episode is that Delphine LaLaurie, who is the real-life serial killer of the LaLaurie Mansion, is also a character in American Horror Story Coven. And I thought it would be fun to sort of learn the real story, what really happened, and then be able to separate fact from fiction when we're reviewing the show. Um, I'm the kind of person where anytime I see a show or a movie and it's based on or inspired by a true story, I'm always really curious to know like what parts are real, which parts are purely fiction, or which parts are exaggerated. So this seemed like a really good opportunity to dig in and do the research, and it was especially exciting for me because, you know, I've been to New Orleans, as I said last time, and I've seen the Lottery Mansion and had that kind of crazy experience, so I really wanted to put those two things together. Uh, the other cool thing I want to mention, American Horror Story, I'm sure as many of you know, they often pull from real life stories or persons and sort of integrate them into the show. And the season is, of course, no exception. So in addition to Delphine Lallery, there's actually other real life characters that they featured. And I did a little research on them too. I'm just going to kind of touch on those true stories. I won't go as in depth, but I'm definitely going to add that in during my review because again, that always really interests me. It's something I'm very fascinated by is, you know, what's reality and what parts are fiction. So we're going to get into that. Now, before I get started, I just want to have a little bit of a disclaimer um, warning for you guys. This podcast, as I've said before, it's generally intended for mature audiences. This particular episode does cover some pretty dark subject matter. I will try to keep it from getting too heavy, but I want to let you guys know, you know, between the Lollary Mansion and, of course, American Horror Story, there's some pretty gory parts. There's torture, mutilation, sexual assault, and harm to and murder of children, which is really tough. So I just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that. So... Let's get started and dive into the LaLaurie Mansion. Now let's start with the opening sentence from Wikipedia when we look up Delphine LaLaurie. It says, Marie Delphine McCarthy, or McCarthy, more commonly known as Madame Blanc, or after her third marriage as Madame LaLaurie, was a New Orleans Creole socialite and serial killer who tortured and murdered slaves in her household. So that's the roughly summed up version. And I just want to point out here that it says serial killer because that is what she was. And I feel like when people talk about female serial killers um, up until AHS, she wasn't really mentioned that often. But I feel like compared to the other more well-known female serial killers like Eileen Wernos or Belle Guinness, Delphine was particularly sadistic and brutal. And I, I just want to be clear, I don't want to glamorize her. She was a terrible, horrible person, but it is a bit mystifying to me that she wasn't more well-known before the show. Um, I do think, you know, unfortunately the show glamorizes it a bit. I'm not going to go too much into that because I don't want to jump into my review, but um, yeah, anyway, getting off track there. I just wanted to mention that, but let's take a little bit of a closer look at her life and her origins. So she was born in New Orleans, Spanish Louisiana on March 19th and 1787. She was one of five children. 
Uh, and the grandfather had actually brought the family to New Orleans from Ireland around 1730. So hence the last name McCarty, which sounds very Irish. So she came from a very influential family. Both of her parents were prominent in the town's European Creole community. Her uncle by marriage was governor of the Spanish-American provinces of, of Louisiana and Florida uh, from 1785 to 1791. And her cousin, Augustine de McCarty, was mayor of New Orleans from 1850 to 1820. So clearly she came from a world of wealth and privilege and great influence. So she ultimately, as she grew up, she was married three times. And her first two husbands actually died under some rather odd or mysterious circumstances, but she was never suspected of any involvement. Um, who knows really what happened? But her third husband was a physician, Leonard Louise Nicholas Lalaurie, hence how she got the name Delphine Lalaurie. And he was actually much younger than her. So yeah, she's a little bit of a cougar there. <laughs> no shame in that being cougar. If it's okay for guys, it's okay for girls too. So anyhow, in 1831, she bought property at 1140 Royal Street, which she managed in her own name, actually, with little involvement from her husband. So she was definitely sort of the matriarch leader of her house. Now, in 1832, she had that giant two-story mansion built there, which is, became the Lollary Mansion, and it had a complete attached slave quarters as well. So she lived there with her husband and two of her four daughters and maintained like a very central position in New Orleans society. Apparently, this family, they were known for having very lavish cocktail parties. Um, as, those, as those highfalutin New Orleans society people do. Um, <laughs> anyway, now there were rumors around town and talk of her treating her slaves exceptionally bad. Now, there were laws at the time in New Orleans, in Louisiana, that were pre preventing severe and unusually cruel punishment to slaves. But as you can imagine, at the time, they, they weren't really very well enforced and investigation was minimal or non-existent into these um, cases. It, it, she did have, now that said, she still did have quite a few run-ins uh, regarding her treatment of them. So one example um, of, of how horrible she was, was the story of, the 12-year-old slave girl, Leah. So when getting ready for a party, Leah was brushing Delphine's hair and she hit a snag, which happens. But um, this sent Madame Delphine into a rage and she started beating the girl with a bullwhip. Now, the girl tried to run away and um, Delphine chased her, I guess. And so Leah runs out onto this balcony and she ends up going over the railing where she fell to her death. Now, whether that was sort of an accident or she jumped or they don't really know exactly what happened. But anyway, it was witnessed and um, Delphine was brought to the court for this incident and was fined all of $300. So for somebody of money at that time, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't that much money at all for her. So... Yeah, this is one of many times she was actually brought to court for abusing her slaves. Again, which says something considering slavery existed at the time, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't treat their slaves well. I mean, she must have been exceptionally bad. Um, and clearly these punishments had little or no effect because it kept happening. Uh, another time she got in trouble, she had to sell six of her slaves, but the, she just sold them to a family member and later on bought them back. So again, these punishments were kind of a joke. Now, in 1834, during one of their notorious cocktail parties, a fire broke out in the house. And this 
is what ultimately brought attention to what was really going on, like the truly horrific and sadistic nature of what was really going on in that house. Now, the way the story goes is that the cook, who, by the way, was chained to the stove, set fire, um, set the fire either in an attempt to, they're not sure why. So they figure it's either an attempt to kill herself and in her misery or to maybe bring attention to the plight of the slaves in that house. So as the fire brigade tried to make their way, you know, through the courtyard and into the house, they apparently met with some resistance from Delphine and Leonard, who reportedly would not hand over the keys, made all kinds of excuses, but eventually they broke the door down, got in, and some of the slaves uh, directed them to a locked room on the third floor. Now, the firemen, as they got there, they could hear the cries of people on the other side of the store and assumed these people were crying to be let out to, you know, get away from the fire and not be burned alive. So... They broke down the door with a battering ram, and upon entering, they were met with not only the stench of death, decay, and human waste, but images of human torture and suffering that surely taunted them for the rest of their lives. I'm sure there are certain things that you can't unsee, and those men probably could never forget. So, again, this I'm going to try not to get too graphic, guys, but I do want you to kind of understand what they saw and how bad it really was. So... Slaves were chained to walls or locked in boxes and cages. They were tortured, disfigured, and maimed, and some beyond recognition. While some were dead, so just dead and laying there, um, many were still alive and truly suffering. So one man looked like, they said, a victim of a twisted sex change operation. Uh, Again, not going to go into more detail, but it's pretty bad. Another, in another person a woman was she was in a cage barely large enough for like a medium-sized dog so she was cramped in there and her limbs were all twisted around her in unnatural positions upon being set free rescuers assumed her limbs would you know stretch back out and they were horrified to find that her bones had actually been broken and reset around her in that way so she actually once they got her out of there she resembled what they called a human crab and I have to say that was one when I was on that tour and they were telling me this story while we were standing in front of the mansion, that just made such an impact on me. Like I almost felt sick because I can imagine what that would look like and how horrible that would be. So yeah, really disturbing. Another instance, a man had a hole drilled into his forehead and a spoon inserted as if they were attempting to stir his brains. Uh, another woman, she managed to break free and she simply ran passed the rescuers to the nearest window and jumped out to her death. They don't know if she was mad from the torture or unwilling to go on or or what the deal was. But yeah, she just ran out and jumped. I mean, I can't even imagine. So while all this is going on, a crowd obviously outside, there's a crowd gathering other than the partygoers who had evacuated, you know, neighbors and onlookers gathered outside as people do when there's a fire. Um, So they're standing there and they're watching in horror as rescuers keep bringing out one after another after another of these victims of various in various states of like mutilation and death and torture. And the crowd quickly turned into a mob. They had no idea, you know, the Lollaries were such absolute monsters. I mean, this really pulled back the curtain as to what was going on. So the mob turned and ransacked the house. They were attempting to find the Lollaries so they could bring them to justice. And the family managed to escape. I think there was like a carriageway. They managed to get out through. They disappeared and they went down to the the dock and they managed to get onto a boat on the river and escape um, before people could get to them. Now, it's believed the Lollaries eventually resettled in Paris, but that's 
neither confirmed. Again, all these stories are just kind of um, not not for certain. So in the days following the incident, the building was, you know, looked upon as cursed and haunted. It was all sort of locked up and boarded. And like people would cross to the other side of the street to avoid it because they were hearing screams and moans coming from inside and everybody assumed the house was haunted by all the people that died there. Um, So it was really just kind of left that way for about four years. No one wanted to touch it. And eventually it was rebuilt into the structure we see today. So it was, I should mention, after the fire and the ransacking, it was kind of a mess. And it was just left that way. But it was rebuilt. And over the years, it was converted into a furniture store at one point, an all-girls school. It was apartments for a little while. I think somebody even attempted to do like a haunted saloon. But everything ended badly. And there's there's a lot of sort of tales of unusual activities and supernatural activity uh, in that structure. So for a while in the late 1800s, it was home to Italian immigrants and families reported often seeing a large man covered in blood, wrapped in chains, walking back and forth on the balcony. And in this during this time, one woman woke up to find that one of her twin babies had a shock sock shoved in its mouth. Uh, pretty scary. Um while it was a girls' school, the little girls would often, you know, run to their headmistress and talk about a mean woman who chased them with a whip and was screaming at them in French. So I'm sure we can guess who that was. Now, the furniture store that someone attempted to have there didn't last long either. So what happened was one morning the owner comes in to open and he finds all the inventories covered in urine, feces, and blood disgusting he assumed it was some kind of vandalism so cleans it up gets more inventory but when it happened a second time he decided to move the store which was probably a good idea so when the house i should mention when the house was remodeled into apartments later on and the floorboards were removed they actually discovered the bodies of 75 people is is what i found in my research um and and it they seem to believe that some of them were actually buried alive because the undersides of the floorboards had been scratched up. So as it turns out, in the days following the Lawlery fire, the screams and cries that people heard walking by were actually people trapped under the floorboards and they weren't ghosts. So as if a bad story couldn't get worse. Now, the mansion was eventually converted back to private home, and um, in that time, it's been owned by many people, including the likes of Nicolas Cage, who lost the property due to back taxes in 2009. Now, the current owners um, actually recently allowed the cast and crew of Portals to Hell inside to uh, record an episode. Um, If you guys don't know the show Portals to Hell, it's like a paranormal investigation show, um, and it's featuring Jack Osborne, who's the son of Ozzy Osborne. So that's pretty cool. And you can watch that episode on Amazon. They did bring in, you know, some of their paranormal equipment and things. And they and they had some interesting finds. Um, it does There does seem to be some activity there. But I'm not going to give too much away. I would definitely, um, it was kind of a fun episode. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. But yeah, that is uh, the story of Delphine LaLaurie and the LaLaurie Mansion. And I wanted to share with you guys um, one interesting thing. When I uh, mentioned on my Facebook that I was going to be doing this story, a friend of mine named Monique, who actually lives in New Orleans, uh, had an interesting comment, and I asked her if I could share with you guys, and she said yes. So um, I-, I thought you would find this amusing, but she said, uh, I lived a few blocks from the Lollery House earlier this year. 
the scariest part was the amount of ghost tours around it every day. <laughs> so <laughs> there you have it. Uh, it made me laugh because I... Uh, at one point was one of those people annoying tourists in one of the ghost tours, <laughs> as you heard in uh, part one of this episode. So yeah, there you have it. Um, you know, perhaps the paranormal activity has lessened over time, or perhaps it's all just hype. Uh, you know, knowing all the awful things that have happened um, can can sometimes play tricks on your mind. And, and that's the thing with ghost stories and hauntings. You don't know kind of what's real, what's coincidence, what's imagination. Um, it's all a mystery. And I think that's kind of the fun of it. You know, there, there still are mysteries in life um and this is one of them so yeah and if you guys are interested in in learning uh, a little bit more even um there's uh, some resources i could share with you so um one of the podcasts that i listened to about this that i really enjoyed was from the graveyard shift and they by the way spell shift with two h's and they had a whole episode on the lawlery mansion which goes into even more detail um because they are smart and they just cover one thing per episode, unlike me who tries to cram in um, too many things. <laughs> but I really enjoyed their episode on on the Lollary Mansion. I also, um, I have a book I got when I was in New Orleans after this tour. It's the, uh, the book is called New Orleans Ghosts, Voodoo, and Vampires, Journey into Darkness by Kalila Katharina Smith. Um, her and uh, another person own the tour company. Um, and I took one of their tours, which was a Haunted French Quarter tour. Highly recommend um, taking one or more of their tours if you go to New Orleans. And this this book was really interesting. And they had a, a chapter um, on the Lollary Mansion as well. So um, yeah, ha- those are some resources I very much recommend if you would like to learn more. So now that we know the real story um, of the Lollary Mansion, let's go ahead and take a look at American Horror Stories Season 3 Coven, which takes place in New Orleans and of course includes the character of Delphine Lollary. And this is where we get to deep dive into the show and do a little bit of separating fact from fiction. All right, so quick heads up before we get started. I'd want to let you guys know this is rather a deep dive into the whole season, and there will be some spoilers. I mean, I'm not going to give too much away. It's There's a lot going on in this in this season, a lot of storylines, so I can't possibly cover everything. But if you haven't seen it, there will be a few spoilers. Um, that said, I don't think you can would listen to this and it would ruin it for you. Uh, again, I, I can't possibly cover everything. So, But yeah, just wanted to give you that heads up. So... American Horror Story Coven, or AHS Coven, as some of us like to call it, is the story of a coven of witches in New Orleans. Now, the backstory is that they were actually originally witches of Salem, Massachusetts, but when the Salem witch witch hunts began, most of the women killed in that, by the way, they say were not witches, according to this story, uh, these real witches decided to leave Salem and resettle in New Orleans, and they founded Miss Robichaux's Academy, which to the world they presented it as a finishing school for girls but it was actually coven 
Now, the season was filmed in a number of historical and notable New Orleans locations. So Miss Robichaux's Academy is actually the Buckner Mansion that was built in 1856 by cotton magnet Harry S. Buckler, Buckner. <laughs> and it's actually a popular photo shoot spot uh, in the New Orleans Garden District uh, when they do tours there. Um, we also will see shots of the actual LaLaurie Mansion in the show as well. And they also filmed uh, along the infamous... Fam- fam- famous or infamous Royal Street, uh, which I've, I've also been to as well. So it'll be, it's very cool that they actually um, include a lot of those spots in the show. So the show itself kicks off by sort of going back in time to the La Lori home during the 1830s. And we are introduced to Kathy Bates playing Madame Delphine La Lori. And I have to say she was so good in this role. She, I mean, no one does crazy like Kathy Bates especially crazy but restrained but you know behind those eyes crazy so (laughs) and they kind of show her how she you get the feeling of how she manipulates twists things and controls the people around her you know um sort of sets the the stage for this character so after that, the show sort of fast forwards in time and we are introduced in the more modern day to the character of Zoe Benson, which is played by Tisa Farmiga. I'm probably saying her name wrong. Um, she is uh, an AHS alum. She's in many seasons. So the character Zoe finds out she's a witch with the power of the Black Widow is what it's called. Now, Black Widow means you cause your partner to have an aneurysm during sex. So she finds out. How does she find out? by trying to have sex for the first time. Now, being a teenager, having sex for the first time is a pretty life-changing experience, but in her case, obviously, more so. Pretty messed up. Um, yeah, so her parents somehow knew, knew which powers ran in the family and then just failed to tell her. Apparently, they were just hoping that she wouldn't, didn't think about what happened if she did. So they knew just where to send her to Mr. Robichaux's academy. Now, the house uh, that they use for this, I have to say, is gorgeous. I mean, dream home. The greenhouse is, is my dream. I dream of a greenhouse like they have in this home. So she goes to Miss Robichaux's Academy, and we are introduced to the other witches in training there. Uh, we have Madison Montgomery, who's played by Emma Roberts. Again, another um, alumni from AHS. So this character is a spoiled Hollywood actress who is basically a total bitch to everyone. Big surprise. So we have Queenie, played by Gaborni Sabide, and I'm probably butchering. I'm so bad with names, you guys. I'm sorry. But she is um, an award-winning actress, and she plays a black witch with the power of what injury transference, or as she likes to say in the show, I'm a human voodoo doll. So she actually, um, she actually says, I'm a human voodoo doll bitch, <laughs> which I feel silly saying it, but she is great. She actually has some great one-liners um, in this, and her character is pretty sassy, which which I like. So, And finally, the, the last character we're introduced to is Nan, who's played by Jamie Brewer, which some of you would recognize from AHS Murder House. Um, she is a Down Syndrome actress, and she is a witch who has a powerful clairvoyant, and she's also really, really great in this. Um, I loved her in season one as well, so I, I, want, I just want to say I love that AHS includes actors um, with disabilities. I think this is, you know, this is, it, in real life, people have disabilities, and they're all over, so I, I love that they, they do this, and they integrate these people in, and um, yeah, she definitely, this character adds a lot to the story. So, after we meet the witches, we are introduced to the head mistress, 
Cordelia Fox, who's played by Sarah Paulson. Um, again, another AHS, recurring AHS actor. And I love that they do this in the show, that they bring these actors back and give them a chance to play all these different characters. It seems like it would be so much fun. Um, and Sarah Paulson, I love her. She's great. I think she's just a fantastic actress. And she once again does just such a great job with this character. So Cordelia Fox gives Zoe the coven history and admits that right now the coven is a shadow of its former self. In its heyday, they had about 60 girls at a time, and now there's just four of them. So she also explains that every generation has a supreme, which is kind of their like head head queen, which um, and as a new supreme comes into power, the old one, quote unquote, fades or starts to lose her power. She also talks about how dangerous the world is for witches and there's one story she shares that kind of will come back around later on um it's a story of misty day who is played by lily rabe who's another ahs alumni and i love this character we'll get more into her later but misty unfortunately is burned alive she during um a southern sort of revival in the deep south she was this accidentally reveals her abilities she can bring things back from the dead so she brings this little bird back from the dead people see it oh my god she's a witch they burn her alive so cordelia uses this story to warn the girls that they need to keep their gifts a secret in order for them to be safe and this is kind of an ongoing theme um you know the safety of the coven the safety of the witches constantly being a threat so the current Supreme at this time while we're watching the show is Fiona Good, who is played by Jessica Lange. She's another AHS, you know, recurring AHS actor. And of course, I think everybody knows who she is, powerhouse of an actress. And she is not a very good Supreme, though. In this case, she has rejected her duties kind of as leader of the coven, which is why Cordelia is is sort of taken over and, and teaching the girls. And, you know, Fiona's never around. She's too busy having fun, drinking, and pursuing ways to kind of stay young and cheat death. And I, this character is, you know, a total narcissist. She only thinks about herself. She has no problem killing other people. And to top it all off, she's Cordelia's mother. So dysfunctional family alert. <laughs> it's, I think a lot of the families in this show are pretty dysfunctional. But they, yeah, it's definitely a difficult relationship. So shortly after... Uh, Zoe arrives Fiona decides to return to the coven and she comes under the pretense that she sensed a storm is coming for the witches and that Cordelia is not doing an adequate job uh, and this is a total manipulation of course but you know Fiona is who she is and she likes to manipulate people and she has ulterior motives for pretty much everything so eventually we learn that she's thinking if she can root out the upcoming supreme and killer she can just extend her own life and power so not only is she a bad supreme, she's probably the worst. <laughs> so moving on. The first night there, uh, Madison decides to drag Zoe to a frat party. She's She basically is like, well, Zoe, you're the only one, my only option for a friend here. So you have to come. Zoe doesn't really want to go. She ends up going anyway. So, of course, frat party has frat boys. And Zoe meets an actually nice frat guy um, named Kyle Spencer, who is played by Evan Peters, who is another... Uh, you guys will recognize him. He's, he's in pretty much almost every episode of AHS and another great actor. And he's pretty much the only one of the frat guys who's decent. He's like extra nice and sweet guy. The rest of them are pretty much just walking cliches of testosterone on legs. So as you would expect, they're dumb, annoying, and dangerous. And you know something bad is going to happen the way they're acting. So 
of course, while Zoe and Kyle are getting to know each other and they really like each other, they're talking and clearly um, they bond right away. So while that's going on, his frat brothers decide to drug Madison and gang rape her, which is a pretty awful scene. Um, So long story short, she uses her mind, Madison uses her mind powers to flip over their tour bus as they're trying to escape. Kyle tries to stop them and they all just run out of the house and back onto their bus, try to get away. Um, you know, Madison makes her way outside. She's pretty drugged up, but she uses her mind powers to flip over the bus and kills them all. And of course, this upsets Zoe because Kyle is killed. So Madison decides, hey, Zoe, we're going to use necromancy and bring him back. Um, <laughs> this scene is really crazy. They go to the morgue and they piece Kyle back together using quote-unquote the best body parts of all the guys um and they bring him back to life which is weird they made like a super messed up Franken boyfriend um (laughs) so bizarre but that's American Horror Story for you so let's skip ahead a little bit um eventually Fiona decides to pretend to be a leader so she takes the girls on a field trip um that somehow gets derailed, they end up at the LaLaurie mansion instead. Um, and Nan hears the voice of Delphine LaLaurie, who is supposedly long dead. Turns out uh, Delphine LaLaurie is buried alive on the property and that she's still alive all these, you know, decades, years later, over 100 years later or more. Um, don't ask me, I'm terrible with math and dates. But we learn that um, Delphine LaLaurie pissed off Uh, Marie Laveau, who also is a real-life person in in New Orleans history. We'll get more into her later. But uh, Marie Laveau is played by Angela Bassett, who is amazing in this role. Um, I personally would love to see them do a whole season around her so we could learn more about Marie Laveau, who's a fascinating real-life character. I'll get more into her later. Um, But yeah, anyway, Delphine kills Marie's lover, who was Delphine's houseboy, um, And so, of course, Marie Laveau is pissed and she curses Delphine with eternal life and then buries her alive for eternity, or so she thought, until Fiona comes along, of course, um, and decides to dig her back up. And uh, I'm not really sure. They don't really make it clear why Fiona did it. Um, She just did it. Who knows? She's Fiona. But um, anyway, uh, real quick, since we since we want to do a little fact fiction talk here. Um, I just want to go over Marie Laveau again because she's a real life person. Um, She was a real life voodoo practitioner and herbalist and healer in the 1800s and she was really renowned in New Orleans. Um, Marie Laveau was an African uh, Native American and French descent woman, a a free woman of color who lived from 1801 to 1881 and her rise as sort of a leader in culture and society in New Orleans was very quick and she's off she's known as the voodoo queen of New Orleans um she ran a beauty parlor in her day and she sort of catered to wealthy clients in New Orleans society which no doubt put her finger on the pulse of things sort of going on in the city and helped with her sort of rise to fame um now AHS does actually utilize the fact that she ran a salon they kind of do change it up a little bit because they make it modern day but We'll get into that anyway. So that was interesting. Um, now, another interesting fact about Marie Laveau is that her daughter, who was also named Marie Laveau II, um, sort of continued her mother work, mother's work and sort of built the legacy and the legend. So a lot of times, 
the stories get sort of intertwined. And it's just this legend of Marie Laveau. Um, and she's still to this day very popular uh, and well known in New Orleans. And um, her tomb, or what they think is her tomb, actually continues to be a very popular spot for tourists to visit um, to this day. So that's just a, that's like a super quick overview. It really doesn't do her justice. There's so much more we could talk about with her story. Um, but again, I think it'd be really, really cool if someone did a movie or maybe an AHS season around her. Um, she's she's fascinating. So yeah, it's definitely someone if, if you're interested, I would definitely recommend you read more up on her because she was, you know, a woman of color at that time being so powerful and renowned. Um, really not not you know, she was a a trailblazer for sure. So moving on back to the show. um, In episode two, Misty Day, who I talked about earlier, comes back. Um, She is sort of, she she manages to bring herself back to life. Uh, I guess that's what the power of resurgence can do for you. So she is drawn um, to Zoe and Madison's ritual when they bring Kyle back. And I just want to mention Misty Day is like the ultimate, like sort of the bohemian queen that, you know, when people think about that whole, like, sort of look vibe, that's, I think, obviously, that's what they were going for. I mean, every time she enters a scene, Stevie Nicks plays in the background, so that should tell you something. Um, <laughs> we also learn in season two that witches and voodoo practitioners do not get along, but they have sort of this shaky truce, which, of course, Fiona manages to ruin by going to Marie Laveau's salon and pretty much condescending her, being very condescending to her, making demands, you know, just, she's she's really pretty bitchy to her. So, of course, Marie Laveau, being a powerful and influential woman, is not having any of that. So, their shaky truce is pretty much destroyed um, in, in an instant. So, good job, Fiona. Um, yeah, so that pretty much up to this point now we have most of the main cast has been introduced. And from here, in typical American Horror Story fashion, things go from creepy and weird to just downright bizarre. There's so many twists and turns. And again, I don't think I have time to cover it all. But um, as the show goes on, Fiona's pretty bad. She does kill quite a few other witches um, throughout this season. But of course, it wouldn't be AHS if people stayed dead. So you never know who's going to come back and who's going to stay dead. Um, and I'm not going to tell you <laughs> all of all of who dies and all of who comes back. But that's another uh, something to look forward to if you haven't seen it yet. So uh, is another scene that I, I really love is at some point when Fiona does something else and just really pisses Marie Laveau off again. So Marie Laveau <laughs> raises a zombie army to go to the coven and kill all the witches, <laughs> which is just crazy. Um and then there's this crazy scene where Zoe, like, who's kind of quiet and, and reserved, realizes, like, you know, Fiona's not there. Cordelia um, is is not there. There's just, just it's suddenly these girls on their own. And Zoe just kind of suddenly steps up and goes full on, like, Rambo and takes charge. She ends up killing all the zombies with a chainsaw in this crazy, like, bloody final girl style showdown. Um, and I kind of think in the back of my mind that... I, that scene and that episode probably helped her land uh, her lead role in the movie Final Girls, which, if you guys haven't seen, was super fun. I loved it. Um, it has a scene that I would consider the best, funniest striptease in a horror movie ever. So I'm, I'm going to leave it with that. But yeah, that that whole scene, I think, I suspect helped land her that role. I'm going to leave it with that. But moving on, another character that, that came up... Um, 
she's kind of a side character in this season, but Myrtle Snow is on the witch's uh, sort of, what's it, panel? There's like a board. I don't know how to call it. Witch's board, witch's council. Um, and, and Myrtle Snow is played by Frances Conroy, who you've seen in other American Horror Story seasons uh, with her bright red horse. She's a pretty distinctive actress. And I love that she's a redhead with this soft voice, but she does the craziest most brutal things um it it just i don't know i get a kick out of it so she does play a key role um in supporting cordelia who is this a wonderful headmistress she's very dedicated to the coven and she's very selfless but she also doesn't believe in herself because her mom constantly you know fiona constantly rejects her puts her down um now cordelia is actually throughout the show she ends up being blinded on two different occasions so the first time She's mysteriously attacked with acid thrown in her face, but then she develops a second sight. So she develops a psychic second sight after she's physically blinded. So this actually helps her discover what Fiona's up to. She also realizes that her husband, Sue, up until this point, her husband also kind of a side character. And then we learn that he's a witch hunter and he married Cordelia to just get close to the coven and gather information. And on the side, he's made some deal with Marie Laveau. So... You know, her her psychic powers, um, she doesn't discover all. It's kind of weird to me that, like, she's a psychic and she realizes that he's lying to her, but she doesn't fully know what he's lying about. I mean, both her and Nan are psychic and this guy has been living there and they neither of them picks up that he's a witch hunter. I mean, that I that part I was kind of having a hard time with when I was watching. But um, her psychic second sight does help quite a bit. And eventually Myrtle gets Cordelia new eyes and she's able to like magically give her new eyes and new eyesight. Um, but then she loses her psychic second sight. So she later on and this is really brutal, but she she feels like she needs her psychic second sight back later on to help the coven. I mean, things go from bad to worse. They become even more in danger. So there's a really brutal scene where in the greenhouse, she actually pokes her own eyes out <laughs> so she can become a, get her psychic uh, abilities back. So, but that does go to show you how dedicated because this Fiona would never do anything like that, you know, to help the coven. So we kind of get the picture here that Cordelia really truly is the leader, even though she's not the supreme. So Fiona and Myrtle Snow do not get along. I mean, I got to say Fiona doesn't get along with anybody, but her and Myrtle Snow really do not get along. It goes all the way back to their days when they were young girls at uh, the coven. And so Fiona somehow manages to frame Myrtle for Cordelia's attack, um, the acid attack on her. Some, and so poor Myrtle ends up being burned alive for something she didn't do. Um, now, I, I, again, I had another issue with this concept that witches would punish their own by burning them alive when this is something that, you know, their oppressors would do to them. And I just think they would find a more humane way to deal with traitors. So it, it doesn't really, that didn't really jibe in my mind. And especially to think like with dwindling numbers and all these outside threats, they would just go and burn one of the witches alive. It just isn't, I don't know. That part didn't make sense to me either. Uh, as much as I love this season, that was one of those things that kind of stood out as odd and inconsistent. So moving on, in episode six, we are introduced to another character that is is pivotal, but it's kind of a side character, and that is the Axeman, who is played by Danny Houston. And um, the Axeman is a serial killer who kills people with an axe. And there was a real, there was actually a real live Axeman in New Orleans between 1981 and 1919. Um, he ultimately, in real life, he killed six 
people and injured an additional six people. Now, AHS tells the story that he sent a letter to the press or police demanding that on this particular night, every house in New Orleans must be playing jazz music or he's going to go and kill everyone inside the house. Now, um, this really did happen in real life, but uh, there were no reported murders that night. So in Coven, they, of course, they take something that's a little bit real and they add to it. So in Coven, what they did was the witches at that time, they lured him in by playing classical music, knowing that the Axeman would possibly show up. So he, of course, shows up. He's hearing classical music from their house as he walks down the street, goes in there with his axe to kill people. Turns out he's stumbled into a coven of witches and they were prepared. They used magic to sort of disable him and stabbed him to death. So his spirit is kind of trapped there. And um, what's these witches eventually sort of bring him back um, through their activities in the modern day. And so he becomes uh, involved with Fiona so that he sort of gets woven back into their story. Now... During the next episode, episode seven, we start seeing some liberties being taken with Delphine LaLaurie's story. So as I mentioned earlier, the story of the 12-year-old slave girl, Leah, who jumped off the roof to get away from whip-wielding Delphine, um, you know, that's how the real-life story went. But in Coven, they decided to change this particular story quite a bit. And I don't think it was necessary. I mean, the story is is really awful. They're, they're trying to portray. I mean, they use this to try and portray just how awful Delphine really was. And I think the real life story was plenty awful enough. But they took it a step further and they changed it. So in AHS, Leah, um, they don't name her, but it's the same story, is, is a grown woman. woman um, and Delphine's husband is cheating on her with this slave woman. The slave woman gets pregnant and has a baby boy. So Delphine, to get back at her husband, the slave woman, um, takes the baby and kills it and uses the baby's blood for her beauty treatments. And the slave is so distraught about what happens to her son that she throws herself off the roof. Um, I mean, it's awful and brutal, and I don't think it was necessary. But, you know, I guess the writers wanted to make something really twisted. So there it is. I mean, and, and it turned it and it was basically fodder for to convince Queenie that Delphine was really just the worst. I mean, throughout the story, somehow Queenie and Delphine bond, even though Delphine is a horrible, racist, nasty person. Um, Queenie keeps trying to help Delphine see the error of her ways. But this convinces Queenie that, in fact, Delphine is not really savable. And it she turns her over to Marie Laveau because Marie Laveau really wants her back and wants to still get back at her. So yeah, she does that, and then Queenie basically switches over and joins Laveau and, and her group and leaves the coven, which, you know, for a coven that's already got dwindling numbers is pretty bad. So in episode 10, so we're going to skip forward a little bit. Uh, this is where, this is really cool, we get to see Stevie Nicks make her first appearance. Now, I'm a big fan, crazy big fan girl of Stevie Nicks, so I kind of screamed um, when this episode came on and I saw Stevie Nicks. So Stevie Nicks plays herself, uh, but she is also, she plays a member of the coven who is also a white witch, and um, she gets to perform a couple of songs, and of course, Misty Day goes crazy because Stevie is Misty's idol. So we are also introduced to another real-life sort of character, and that is Papa Legba, who is played by Lance Reddick. Now, um, Papa Legba is a real deity in, in 
Haitian voodoo religion. He's what's considered a loa or spirit. And um, I, I tried to do a little bit of research. I'm not super familiar with voodoo or, or their sort of deities, their pantheon of gods. But from what I could find, he's associated with the crossroads and he serves as an intermediary between man and the spirit world. Now in Coven, he's pretty much portrayed as like the gatekeeper of the spiritual spirit world um, who makes decisions and stuff. So I don't know if that could be taking a little bit of a liberty there um, by the writers. They also show that he is summoned with, you know, good cocaine. Um, again, I couldn't find anything to substantiate that people use cocaine to summon uh, deities in voodoo, but maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't want to dissect this too much because I don't want to um, offend or, or inappropriately portray someone's actual spiritual practice. But I, I think probably Coven took a few liberties with this character, but I thought he was really cool, <laughs> you know. Uh, again, the the answer the actor that played him did a really good job, and he he came across as like a totally cool badass god of the underworld. Um, so in Coven, the story goes that Marie Laveau sold her so soul to Papa Legba for eternal life and youth, and that he has annually demands these sort of annual sacrifices of babies every year. Again, I don't know if this is is I doubt this is actually a part of any actual. Um, voodoo spirituality so but he he plays a significant role in outcomes for many of the characters queenie delphine fiona and of course marie laveau so um he's he's not in there a lot but he when he is he definitely has like a big impact so towards the end of the show queenie convinces papa legba that his his contract with laveau is negated um through a long convoluted series of events delphine manages to trick marie uh and drug her and she dismembers her and buries all her body parts in a bunch of places and queenie basically is like listen papa she can't fulfill her end of the bargain anymore so she's in breach of contract so you should just cancel it and the reason she did this is because queenie wants to finally end delphine once and for all delphine's run away from the coven you know and of course i think queenie's worried she's going to go and start murdering people again and it's just time for it to end so it's a really interesting scene when Queenie has her final confrontation to, with Delphine, who's gone back to her mansion of all predictable things to do. Um, she kills a tour guard and decides to give her own tours, uh, which she's not very good at. Because <laughs> she tries to say that it's all lies. Um, but Queenie confronts Delphine and says, hey, you know, you need to make amends. You need to do the right thing. It's and Delphine's basically replies, listen, you know, I've watched people on your magic box, a.k.a. the TV, and I've watched all these famous people that apologize and they cry a few tears and they pretend, but I can tell they're not sorry. Maybe sorry they got caught, but basically these people are just weak and I'm not going to apologize when I'm not sorry. Because she's not. She's a psycho. So Queenie finally kills her. And at this point, you know, Delphine's immortality relies on Marie Laveau's immortality. Right. So because Laveau no longer has immortality, neither does Delphine, who doesn't realize this. So when Queenie finally kills her, she's like, oh, well, now I don't want to die. It's like, you know, Queenie's like, well, no one does. Too bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Queenie basically got the upper hand in this whole thing. But I do think that um, Delphine's statement about famous people apologizing was really kind of on point because you got to wonder sometimes if these people you know, they do all these horrible things, they have all this power, and then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, but you got to wonder if they're really sorry, if they're just sorry they got caught. So I thought that was a poignant moment um, in the show. So, 
needless to say, this is not how Marine Delphine, Marie Delphine Lalaurie dies in real life. Um, again, reports that she was in Paris, that she died, you know, in Paris, lived to a pretty old age. And, you know, she had her family around her the whole time, which sounds like she never really got what she deserved. Um, and unfortunately, in real life, that happens, you know. So as we get to the end of the series, um, a new Supreme has to be chosen, you know, they eventually find a way to sort of get the upper hand with Fiona. I'm not going to give too much of that away. But um, the, there's a test that the girls have to take to determine who is the next Supreme. It's called The Seven Wonders. And, of course, Stevie Nicks plays a Seven Wonders song. Um, and for the first, because for the first time in history, Fiona, or the Supreme, Fiona has not named a successor. All the girls have to take The Seven Wonders. So they're pretty cool. It's basically they have to perform all these seven different tasks showing that they have all of the witch powers. So it ranges from things like telekinesis uh, to concilium, which is mind control, or pyrokinesis, which <laughs> the power of fire is pretty cool. And the most powerful of them all is the vitalium vitalis, or the ability to transfer a life force uh, into those on the verge of death. So I'm not going to give away who ends up being the supreme, but I was surprised, and I'm sure you will be too. Um... Yeah, so that's that's kind of the summary of what happened. I don't again, I think didn't give too much away, hopefully. And there's one thing in the season I felt purpose felt served no purpose, really. Um there's a storyline with like the religious neighbors, um, with one of the boys like Nan and the boy next door kind of had a thing, but ultimately I don't feel like any of it, like the lady next door was crazy religious nut, and I, I'm not just not sure it served the ultimate storyline. Um, following these witches and I also felt you know this is a little bit of my critique of of the show um I felt the last two episodes were a bit rushed like I think if they had gotten rid of that whole storyline with the neighbors and just focused on sort of the witches the witch hunters and the voodoo practitioners it would have been a little less rushed and maybe the things would some things would have been a little bit better fleshed out but you know other than that and a few little other annoyances um I did love the season I have to say, I don't really need to hear someone say witch bitch again. <laughs> that was a little bit annoying. But otherwise, I really did enjoy the season. Um, there were, uh, like I said, a lot of fun things in it. Um, a lot of great characters. So, you know, and if you're an AHS fan, I know a lot of people, I feel like this season people either loved it or hated it. So, yeah. Um, curious what you guys think. If you've seen it, let me know what you think. You can always write me on one of my socials or uh, email me. Um, email is pinupsandpoltergeists at gmail.com. So yeah, but that's, um, that's all for today. That's my, my review and our, and our haunted story. And yeah, um, I would love to hear back from you guys. If you have any questions or if you have your own ghost stories or ideas for stuff you'd like to cover, uh, you can email me. Um, I know I just said it, but again, it's pinupsandpoltergeists at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram. It's at the underscore Ruby underscore Stardust. So you can follow me or message me there. I'm also on Facebook. It's just Ruby Stardust. So yeah, I would love to connect with you guys and hear your thoughts. Um, and of course, if you want to give me a review or a like on whatever platform you're listening on, I would really appreciate that as well. So until next time, you guys, stay sassy and stay spooky. Bye.